Before I read the scripture this morning, please pray with me. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to your word, um, that we would wait expectantly for what you would speak to each of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's reading comes from Second Chronicles. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, and then from chapter 36, 17 through 23. So start of the book and end of the book. I'll just give you a moment to find it in your Bible or your Bible app. This is that moment in church that you're encouraged to take out your phone. <laughs> so starting in Second Chronicles 1 verse 1. Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in all Israel, the heads of fathers' houses. And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness, was there. But David had brought up the ark of God from kiriath Jearim to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, had made was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who, had, who, who were before you and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Now skipping to chapter 36, verse 17. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these 
he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. This is the word of the Lord. If you do have moments at your own uh, place of work where you're like, I know why I made this decision, and I'm still for it, but, huh, why would I preach an entire sermon on Second Chronicles? How ambitious am I to think that you may go back and read this book, which is a long one. There are a lot of books in the Bible that you can read very quickly, be encouraged by, then maybe read them again. This is not one of them. But it's so good. And the reason is, God is a God of hope. And God hears his people. And the first group of people that would have been listening to the book of Chronicles read aloud were exiles. They had been violently, horrifically removed from their home, which also meant their place of worship. Christians can worship anywhere. But the people of God at that time, it's still a little buzzy, sorry. But followers of God at that time um, worshiped, and the worship was tied to the land, and they were forcibly, violently, horrifically removed, and then allowed to, in, in, and allowed to return. And listening to this story would have given them hope. Watching kings respond well to God and respond poorly to God and responding kind of mediocrely, Watching uh, normal humans, lay people is what we would call them now, respond well to God, respond kind of back and forth, respond poorly. There are some unknown prophets that just speak truth into the story. There's a prophet named Micaiah in the middle of 2 Kings. He has to stand up to 400 prophets that are all lying. And if the Lord would grant us the grace to read this the way we watch a sitcom, we're on the edge of our seat because there's a moment because people 
make a lot of horrific decisions, some decent decisions, some great decisions. And you don't know what's going to happen. And it's so interesting. The writer of Chronicles is a little more interested in uh, mothers than the writer of First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel. There's a lot of overlap between First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Hezekiah is a pretty good example of a king who was uh, mostly humble before the Lord. Kings will tell you some. Chronicles will tell you a little bit more about his story. Well, First and Second Samuel, a little more concerned with the Davidic covenant. I would say First and Second Kings gives like a twelve thousand, maybe twenty thousand view of what's going on in uh, Judah and in Israel. Chronicles is more interested in Judah. Chronicles gives less of an experience of the prophets. And here's why it's so encouraging. I have no idea how interesting that was to any of you. I can't read your faces. I gave up trying a long time ago. I lived in the Midwest. I thought that I could read people, and I probably couldn't do it half as well as I thought I could. So it's good that I've given it up. Here's why. How will you respond? You have experienced the pain of generational sin in your life. And then you have an opportunity to respond before God and the neighbors that he's put into your life. That happens repeatedly in Chronicles. To kings, to regular people, to relatives of kings, to neighbors, to Israelites. How will you respond to adversaries? Not adversity, that's in there too, but adversaries. Throughout Chronicles, we see people respond well. And what responding well means is worshiping God and seeking his wisdom for how to respond. And you see people respond a little bit back and forth. If you're reading the book of Chronicles, which I know you're going to want to this week because I'm going to inspire you to because it's so encouraging. It gives so much hope to exiles. By the way, multiple New Testament writers call us exiles. Because if our allegiance is to Jesus, then we will not have home in this world until he returns. Which means that Second Chronicles will give you immense comfort and hope. And as you're reading it, it'll say, this king walked in the ways of David, his father. And you're like, yes, but he didn't remove the high places. Oh, no. That's a back and forth king who does okay and then some of them not only walk in the ways of David, their father, they remove the high places and they go back to the book of the law. And you're like, okay, this is going to go well. And we're comforted because that's what we get to do. When faced with adversity, physical sickness, the effects of generational sin, problems that stem from the world being under the sin and the curse, we worship God, we seek his wisdom for our life, we do so as humbly as we're able. That's why this book is so encouraging. I uh, don't know very many people that are on their plan A life, you know? However old you are, can you imagine explaining to your, let's say, 24-year-old self where you are why, and all the circumstances surrounding it. How long would that conversation need to take? So, 
let me tell you again why my family and I chose to leave St. Louis and come to Connecticut. That's going to take about 45 minutes. And it's a good story, one that encourages me. But it would take a few minutes, and that's just that. Where do your parents live now? How old are your children, the three of them? If you read Second Chronicles, you watch the entire nation of Israel and individual families and tribes deal with, okay, now we're on plan F. Now it's I, J, K. Yeah, like sometimes it gets worse and worse. You know what I'm saying? And yet, then when people return to the Lord, return to him in singular worship, because there is no divided worship of the one true God, and then humbly before him and even before others, seek his face and his wisdom and his guidance, the Lord is so merciful. So the writer of Chronicles, who is existing, by the way, in a conversation with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Psalms, Zechariah, Proverbs, just to name some of the ones that that book is in conversation with, not least of which also 2 Kings. You read 2 Kings and you read 2 Chronicles, you're like, I've read this before. You have read it before, and yet the perspective is different, which means we have more to learn. And the reason that I say that out loud is not to impress you. It's very rarely my objective up here. But to tell you that, that the fact that these things are in such dynamic conversation with one another. These books, these writers are in such dynamic conversation with one another is one of the many reasons we can trust the Bible. It takes some work to trust, especially books like Second Chronicles that can be a little bit confusing. I think it's less confusing than Kings, which will just alternate between talking about Judah and Israel after they divide, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But the reason that I tell you that, and Simon read a couple of verses, um, especially at the end that overlap also with Daniel, is one of the things that's encouraging about Second Chronicles is it's a reminder implicitly of the trustworthiness of the text that we have. So the writer of Chronicles first tells us of Solomon and the temple. And in an act of prophetic Motivational and foreshadowing. Chapter 6, as the temple's being established, Solomon says this in a prayer. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive. If there's famine, verse 28, then skipping to verse 32, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house here from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. That's Solomon echoing Exodus and the heart of God, which is for the people of God to help make God known to all the peoples of the earth. 
And when they fail, and when they pay the price for their sin, then they repent and turn their worship back to the one true God who hears and forgives and restores them back. The first 10 chapters of Second Chronicles is largely about worship, feasts, sacrifice, sacrifices, the work of the Levites and the priests. Solomon negotiates very wisely and shrewdly with a king a couple of countries over. There's a lot of artistic detail of the temple, and then something very, very cool happens. Chapter 9, verse 21, through his negotiations with Hiram. It says this in chapter 9. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. It's important. That's in chapter 9. In chapter 20, Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah, and he was 35. He walked in the way of Asa's father and did not turn aside. The high places, however, were not taken away, so he's an okay king, right? Now, the rest of the Acts are written in the Chronicles of Jehu, which is lost. And after this, he joined with Ahaziah, who acted wickedly, and he joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish. And they built the ships of Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. And I know that in some respects you are like, where is he going with this? I'm going to tell you. If you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? I'm in verse 8. For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first. To bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you, for in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. I was skipping to verse 14. Even in Solomon's prayer that foreshadows the mistakes and sin and idolatry and destruction of the nation of Israel, there's hope embedded in the story. Because God knows that it's not going to go well for his people, but he loves his people and will not forget them so we have these sprinklings, these breadcrumbs of future hope because Isaiah chapter 60 is a description of us sitting on the walls of the new heavens and the new earth 
watching God's goodness roll over the world. And it is connected to 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and 2 Chronicles chapter 20. My hope is to encourage you by how interconnected this book is because the Holy Spirit breathed out these words to encourage and convict and comfort us. The first 10 chapters of the book are this meteoric rise of Solomon's reign, and then the next 26 chapters are the story of the nation falling into idolatry and violence and sin and harm, and God recovering them and recreating them Redeem, excuse me, God redeeming them and then recreating them because his steadfast love endures. Right after the story of Solomon, the kingdom divides. And it is both absolutely tragic and there is God's mercy. So the, the two kings, when the, the kingdom splits are Rehoboam and Jeroboam, I was being, when I was getting uh, ordained, you have to go through a committee exam and a pastor named Clay Smith switched the names on me and I heard him pause and switch Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And I was like, Clay wouldn't do that. He wouldn't try and trick me into Jeroboam as the southern king and Rehoboam as the northern king, which is backwards. And because I had so much confidence in his character, I got that question wrong. It's a tragic story because Rehoboam says, I am going to exact more work out of the nation of Israel than Solomon did, and Solomon did too much. And so then the kingdom divides, and then they're going to go to war with one another, and God stops it. Because even with someone as wildly arrogant as King Rehoboam, God is still merciful to his people. In chapter 13, Jeroboam is still in the northern kingdom, and the Israelite uh, king's name is Ahijah. And he says this in chapter 13. Oh yeah, I'm just going for it. We're just going to read a lot of Second Chronicles today. You showed up in the rain. You wanted to see me do a little bit of work as a pastor. Well, we're doing it. If you have your Bible, turn to Second Chronicles, chapter 13. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah, not Ahijah, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gabeah. I told you Second Chronicles writer was interested in mothers because they matter. Now there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah went out to battle having an army of valiant men of war, 400,000 chosen men. And Jeroboam drew up his line of battle with him with 800,000 chosen mighty warriors. Then Abijah stood up on Mount Zemaraim, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, a servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And certain worthless scoundrels gathered about him and defied Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David because you are a great multitude and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made you for gods. Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made priests for yourselves like the people of other lands? Whoever comes for ordination with a 
a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are not God's. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. We have priests ministering to the Lord. We have priests ministering to the Lord who are sons of Aaron and Levites for their service. They offer to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices set out the showbread on the table of pure gold and care for the golden lampstand that its lamps may burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Behold, God is with us at our head and his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. The king is offering truth to all the warriors present. He's attempting to motivate them using that truth. And this is an invitation. It's an invitation to stop worshiping a God who's dead, a calf, and start worshiping the God who's alive. And this particular incident doesn't go well. But other times, it does go well. People listen, and they humble themselves. They'll fall on their face, or they'll stand and worship, two different kinds of worship. Still available to us, right? And so again, what we see are moms. Oh yeah, there's a queen in Second Chronicles for a little while. It goes really poorly. First thing she does is murder everyone else in the family, and you're like, oh man, it's not going to end well. You see moms and foreign kings and a queen and a prophetess named Hulda. We don't know anything about where she went to seminary or if she was a good speaker We just know that when Josiah uncovered the law, he sent his priest and a whole bunch of advisors to ask her what to do. Chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles. And you're like, I want to know more. I want to know less about some of these things and more about whether she got an MDiv or an equivalent or a counseling degree or what happened there. During the the horrific division of the kingdom, we still see moms and foreign kings and queens and prophetesses And others respond with humility or with arrogance to adversity, to sickness, to adversaries, to the effects of generational sin, to the realities around them. And it's a constant invitation to worship or to turn back to worship to the only true God the only one who offers life and not death, the only one who can heal and not make that sickness or adversity worse. The writer of Chronicles tells of Solomon and the temple and the division of the kingdom and the return of the exiles. If you ever have trouble understanding the Bible, one question that will help you a great deal is, who would have been the first hearers of this book? Works for every book of the Bible. It doesn't magically explain to you where Holdo went to seminary or whatever other questions that you have, but it's incredibly helpful. So if you're reading Second Chronicles and thinking, the first hearers of this were those who came back from this exhausting, horrific, violent exile, and it gave them hope that they can continue to worship the one true God, that they can humbly look to him for guidance in their lives, 
and marriages and worship and life. Second Chronicles tells in often bloody and often glorious ways something that I hope that you understand. Your worship and allegiance and obedience to God affects those around you. It's either a blessing to them or harm to them. If your allegiance or your worship is divided, that will leak out in harmful ways towards you and those in your life. When you try to have a foot in both worlds, and listen, our culture isn't even encouraging us to have a foot in both worlds. It doesn't even, as far as I can tell, doesn't even care about this world anymore. Which is both a temptation to believe these things are not true and just go live however we feel like living, but it's also a temptation to believe we can do both. We can both worship God and do everything. It's a really bad summary of what the culture is trying to convince us to live and do. I think the worst temptation than to just live however we want is to believe that our allegiance can be Jesus's and the world's. And in the picture of this theocratic monarchy, we learn that there is no such thing as a divided allegiance. It does not work. It ultimately, it's a, it means our allegiance is not to the Lord. And I really wanted to say theocratic monarchy because if you read Second Chronicles, you'll notice that any monarch that acts like just a monarch and not a theocratic monarch gets smoked, like, immediately. It's just bad. And you're, you're reading it. It's like he didn't take down the high places. You're like, oh, this is going to go poorly. Because it's the same for us. There is no pluralistic worship. That's called idolatry. There is the worship of the one true God and a humble obedience to him. And then there is a life of death. And for us, Second Chronicles is even more encouraging because we know that we need a better representative king than David, and we have one in Jesus. We know that we need a wiser king than Solomon, and we have one in Jesus. And we know that while we are awaiting his return, he gives us strength, guidance, hope, comfort, and conviction that we're exiles and that is okay. And he gives us guidance on how to live as his citizens until he returns. Would you pray with me? God, I praise and thank you that you always hear the cries of your people. I praise and thank you that though we are so prone to run away from you, you run after us. You show that in the Chronicles through your prophets and through multiple stories that Jesus told us. We ask Holy Spirit that you give our minds and hearts a laser focus on our worship of you. 
in song and in prayer with our stuff and our talents on Tuesdays and on Fridays and on Sundays. Amen.